Okay, guys, we are in Revelation chapter 4. We're going to have a little bit of a review first before we move on with exactly what Revelation 4 is saying. So the first thing I want you to remember is the key verse to understanding the book is found in Revelation 1.19. If you really want to understand how this book is formatted and what it's saying, you just really need to look at verse 19 of chapter 1 in which John is told to write the things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. And so we have, up until this point, looked at the first two things. So chapter 1, if you remember, was the things, I'll give you the basic out which you have seen. We see that in chapter 1. What you have seen is chapter 1 then what is now is chapters 2 and 3, and what will take place is chapters 4 through 22. So that's where we're starting today, what is now. Now, I want us to have a basic mindset from this point out. I want us to have a basic mindset as we look at chapter 4, through chapter 22, from this point out, we're going to be here the next 20 weeks. We've kind of, you know, when you look at chapter 1 and chapters 2 and 3, there really isn't anything there to be dogmatic about. But now as we get into the prophetic nature about what is to come, we really need to have a basic mindset because you can get tripped up, you can get, you can get yourself in trouble, and a lot of guys have gotten themselves in trouble and discredited themselves. Now, the next big prediction is when? May, I think it's 11, 2011. You know, on May 12th, we'll realize another guy's what? Wrong. So here's the basic mindset I want you to have. First thing is, don't be dogmatic about your interpretation. Don't be dogmatic about your interpretation. And the second thing I want you to see here is biblical prophecy only gives us a partial picture. Biblical prophecy only gives you a partial picture. We tend to think of it as it giving us a specific picture. But it doesn't. It only gives you a partial picture. So, for instance, I want you to think about it. The Jews in Jesus' day knew the Messiah was coming, and they were correct that the Messiah was going to come as a conquering hero, but they did not understand that he was to be a suffering Messiah first. Does everybody understand that? They didn't see that. And so they had these predictions about the first coming of Jesus, the only coming that they, the only coming of the Messiah, is that he would come and conquer and overthrow the Romans. They were wrong. They were pretty dogmatic about that. You cannot be dogmatic about your view of prophecy. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't. The church has been waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. Remember I told you you can't be dogmatic about who the Antichrist is? Okay? Just think about it. A year and a half ago, everybody thought Obama was the Antichrist. 
Now they're talking about whether or not he'll serve a second term. Just being honest with you. They thought Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. John Paul II. Saddam Hussein. Now what's the problem with all those three guys I just mentioned? They're all dead. Do you understand? So you cannot be dogmatic. Prophecy only gives you a partial picture. A partial picture. So as we go through this, you need to understand it's given to you. Can I be honest with you? It is given to you for a reason. What's the reason? For you to persevere, to hold on, and to hope for what's happening in the future. It's not for you to sit around and examine every iota of detail of what goes on in history right, right now and, and, and say that the times are coming. The times are coming, period. So let, let's look at what it's saying here. First of all, there's an invitation. Let's look at verse 1. This is a transition point in the passage. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in the heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now, this is a transition point. So, I want you to see something. John is invited to come and see that which must take place in the future. Now, this verse is a transition verse. If you want to, you can draw kind of a little line after uh, verse 22 and right before verse 1. And, and, and just to help you know that this is a different section of this book. Because he's saying here, after these things, what things? He just talked the letters to the seven churches. And he says, come and look at the last part, what, what the voice says to him. And I will show you things which must take place after this. What's it talking about? What just took place? What he just had there? So this is a transition point in this verse. So here's what we see happening. Look at verses 2 and 3. He gets a vision of the heavenly throne. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. Okay, so let's talk about this, the heavenly throne here. First of all, John was taken to heaven through an experience while he was still on the island. So he didn't physically go there. It says, in the spirit. So I don't understand what that means. But while he was on the Isle of Patmos, something happened where God took him in the spirit to the throne room of heaven. So it's not our place to try to figure that out. We're just seeing he's writing this down. He's on the island, and he was taken into the throne room of heaven. He had, an, he had a, a spirit, in the spirit. And then notice he sees the throne. John saw a great throne in heaven and one who sat on the throne. So he's taken into, really, into heaven, into the throne room of God. And he sees a great throne. And one who sits on the throne. So he's in the spirit, and he sees a great throne. Now here's how he describes the one who sits on the throne. 
The one who sat on the throne had the appearance of a great diamond and ruby. You know, the description here when it says, look at what it says there, verse 3, like jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. How many of you ladies have taken your diamond? You know, when, you, when your honey got you your diamond? How many of you have taken it and held it in the light? How many of you have done that? Okay. And, and, and the illumination that comes through there, that's the same type of description it's talking about here. It, it, it's like he sees one who in appearance, the brightness of it is like a diamond and a ruby. All right? That, that's the brightness of it here. Now let's, let's go on now. He goes on and says that the throne was surrounded by a rainbow that appeared like an emerald. Now, anybody know what color emerald is? An emerald is. Green. So that's an interesting rainbow, isn't it? It's surrounded by a, a rainbow that has the appearance of an emerald. What, do you, what, is, what is it? So don't take this. Here's what you've got to do. You've got to understand, he's writing a description. So don't take it as literal that when you see God, it's like brilliant, you know, brilliant stones. No, no, no. You understand God is a spirit. What he's trying to describe to you in human terms is the brilliance of it. You understand what I'm saying? He's trying to describe to you in human terms what it looks like because it's so spectacular. So he goes on in verse 4, and he's going to talk about 24 elders. Let's look, look at here what he says here. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So let's look here, a couple things. First of all, around the great throne are 24 smaller thrones. Around the great throne are 24 smaller thrones. And these, look at next, these 24 elders, and on each throne were an elder clothed in white with a gold crown. Now, I'm not going to speculate. It's not our place here to try to figure out who the 24 elders are. I'll just give you real quick some, some thoughts that people have thought. Uh, one view is it is the uh, 12 sons of Jacob plus the 12 apostles. So there's 24. All right? Uh, or it's 12 righteous kings and the apostles. Now, the problem is one of the apostles is watching it. One of the apostles is seeing it. So... The Bible doesn't really tell us who these 24 elders are. It just says, in this, there's one who sits on the throne, he is spectacular, and he's surrounded by 24 thrones. What we do kind of speculate is, is that because they're clothed in white, and they have gold crowns, is maybe they're humans. But it doesn't even say that. It just says they're, they're elders. So, let's go on then. He then sees in verse 5, the seven spirits of God. Look at what it says here. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning between the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now here's what we see. From the throne came great lights and sounds. So I mean, we're talking about a spectacular sight here. We're talking about something that's totally beyond anything you can comprehend. Okay? Totally beyond anything you can comprehend. 
and and he sees the throne, the one who's on it, and from the throne comes these lightnings and, and great sounds. Now, here's the other thing. John sees the presence of the Holy Spirit before the throne. The seven the seven spirits are is is a reference to the Holy Spirit. So he sees the presence of the Holy Spirit before the throne. Then there are four living creatures. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. Here's what he says. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures each had six wings, were full of eyes all around and within, and they did not rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. All right, let's talk about these four living creatures. First of all, these creatures were dwelling around the great throne. These are creatures that are right there in the midst around the great throne. All right? Now, here's the description of the creatures. These creatures are not human. Look at how they're described. One's described as a lion. The other's described as a calf. One looks like a man. And the final one looks like what, folks? Like a flying eagle. So there's something about them. Now, here's the thing that helps us to understand who they are. These creatures had six wings. Six wings. Now, that should help you. So how's that going to help me? Well, if you study the Old Testament, all the way over in Isaiah chapter 6, there is another prophet by the name of Isaiah who has a vision of God on the throne. And God on the throne is surrounded by four, the Bible says they're seraphim or angels, who had six wings. And in that description, with two they covered their face, with two they flew, and with two they covered their feet. So what we can see here is that these creatures are who, folks? Angels. Now, it's another interesting thing. It's not just in Isaiah, but if you go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees the same vision. In his vision, he sees four creatures who are filled with what? Eyes. Okay? So, what I want you to see is, what we see here is, you're starting to grasp who the one on the throne is. It's God. It's God. Now, Here's what these, these creatures do. These angelic beings continually praise and worship God. They basically serve God and they give proclaim continually, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So these, 
that they're continually worshiping one who's on the throne. So then I want you to notice something. Here's what we're going to finish up with. It's chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. Look at what it says. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by you they exist and were created. All right, so let's look here. First of all, the elders ascribe glory to God as sovereign by casting down their crowns. Here, when they, you know... Here they are, they're, they're pictured as having these crowns, but they give glory to God by casting down their crowns. And it's, it's really what it is, it's a picture of you're, you're better than we are. And we owe you tribute. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You know, like, okay, let's stop for a moment. I want you to understand something. Let's understand something about heaven. Scripture tells us to lay up treasure in what? Heaven. Can I be honest? I'm going to help you understand stuff. That is not going to be your most important focus there. Yeah, life's tough here. Looking forward to heaven where where things are going to be better and there's going to be healing and paradise. Looking forward to that. But that is not going to be the focus. Heaven is not the focus. Being there in heaven is not the focus. God is the focus. You understand what I'm saying? We've got to get that under. Our selfishness wants something better, and so we long for streets of gold, mansions. Hey, can I tell you about the mansions thing? That's more Southern Gospel than it is Bible. Because reality is, the King James translated, in my house are many mansions. It actually is dwelling places, like apartments. And we've taken that and run with it, that every one of us is going to have a what? A mansion. You know, and so we just give me a shack. You know. I want to be in Jesus' house. Who cares about my own? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The focal point is Jesus and God. And so the elders, when they throw off their crowns, it's not the focus isn't them and look at me, I got a crown. The focus is it's like they throw down their crowns, God, you are sovereign. You are worthy. You are the one who's in control. Listen, in fact, I was just—I was reading. Through, I've been reading through the Psalms in my devotions, and I was in Psalm 43. I believe it's verse four. And da- the writer writes—I don't think it's David because it doesn't describe it to David—but the writer, the psalmist writes, "God, my supreme joy." The writer is saying that his supreme joy in life. Is who? His wife? His kids? His boss? No, he wouldn't write that. You know, who is it? God. And then, you know, and I was, was saying, God, are you my supreme joy? 
Are you my supreme joy? Ask yourself that question. Is God your supreme joy? That, that's the reality of what's going on here. See, these guys are saying, Lord, you are worthy, and so we're going to worship you. All right, let's continue on about those elders, what they're doing there. Here's what's going on. They attribute to God glory and honor and power. Glory, honor, and power. They attribute God to that. And then finally, they acknowledge that He is creator and sustainer of the universe. Creator and sustainer of the universe. So they're recognizing who God is. His sovereignty is, first of all, He deserves all glory, all power, all honor. And that He is the one who created everything and that everything exists because of Him. Do you realize that, folks? So you know the next time you think the world's falling apart? I'm going to tell you what happened when you get to that point where you think the world's falling apart. You took your eyes off of somebody. Because the reality is the world isn't falling apart. Because you're not the one who sustains it. Your company's not the one who sustains it. God is the one who sustains it. Do you understand? And when He's done with it, He'll be done with it, but He'll have something else for us. Do you understand what I'm saying if you're His child? You need to grasp the reality of who God is. I think that's what's missing in our churches today. I'll just be honest with you. That's what's missing in our lives, is a, a grasp of who God is. Do you understand what I'm saying? We want a sugar daddy. You know what I mean by that? You know, I I must frustrate Lori sometimes. Um, I, I, I am a softie with my kids, okay? And, and here's what happens. Well, like yesterday, Sawyer comes to me and says, Dad, can I keep this? And I already know the answer, no. So here's what I say. Ask your mom. <laughs> Whatever she decides. What's going on there? I don't want to say no to my kids. You know, you know what I'm saying? And we want a God like that. God's not like that. Did you know what I'm saying? God isn't like that. Aren't you glad He isn't like that? You know? It, it's a human thing. You don't expect a lot, yes. Yeah, we, we expect a lot because we get a lot. And even there was a time in a generation here when you didn't expect a lot either. So, like, you talk to the older generations, you know, we have some here. They can remember when times were tough and they were wondering when the next thing was coming. And they didn't, you know, they, they hoped for what was better, but they didn't expect it. We've got to where we've expected it now. Yeah, there's something wrong with God. And so now this is actually, can I be honest with you, the economic downturn in our nation. Does everybody understand, it ain't going to be settled overnight. If you figured that out yet, the news will help you understand that. Okay? It ain't going to turn over overnight, folks, and everything's going to be great again, and we're going to have the boom. The boom may never come back. 
in your generation. And, and, and this is not surprising. For years now, they've been making a prediction that there was going to be a great reversal again. It's happening. Now, the, person, the people who are having the hardest time with it are our children, or your children, or your children's children. Because they have grown up not in adversity, but they've grown up in prosperity. And now we have adversity, and they don't know how to handle it. Then you transfer that thinking over to, listen to me, to God. And so then, you've got kids who are getting ticked off at God. Because God didn't give them what they've been praying for. You know, they're praying for a woman or a guy, and it didn't happen. So, Or they're praying for a job, and it didn't happen. Well, God, aren't you the one who provides? Do you understand? So they don't understand. And so they get angry with God. And they're like, chuck that, I'm out of here. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we've got to get a, a correct view of God. A correct view of God. Where, okay, remember last week we talked about it? We talked about John the Baptist's disappointed faith. He had a perception of God, of who Jesus was supposed to be. And here he is in prison, and things aren't working out. So he sends two of his disciples and says, Are you the one, or should we be looking for another? And Jesus says, Go back and tell them what you see. The lame. And he quotes from Isaiah, but he leaves out one part in Isaiah, which is, We're going to set the captives free. Here's what he's saying. It's a personal message to John. John, I'm the one, but you're going to die there. He doesn't promise us roses. He doesn't promise us that things are going to be right. See, this is what the book of Revelation is about. Blessed is the one who overcomes. Blessed is the one who perseveres. Blessed is the one who holds on to his faith in spite of all difficulties, in spite of all problems. Because, folks, we're going to have problems, aren't we? You didn't have a problem last week? Wait. You'll have one today. I'm serious. I mean, I go for, I take my truck in to go for uh, an inspection, thinking 40 bucks, sticker. And Corey, bearer of bad news. Corey's a, Corey's a bearer of bad news. Every time I talk to Corey, he's costing me money. You need to replace your ball joints on the front. 500 bucks. Forked out right there. You know, do you know what I'm saying? Was I, I just kind of had that money set aside knowing I was going to, you know. How many of you have that? You just know that, oh, I just got to blow 500 this week. How many of you do that? Nobody. Do, do you know what I'm saying? But what I want you to understand is, here's what I'm trying to help you to understand. You can't blame that on God. The world we live in He didn't create it to be the way it is. He created it to be perfect. Who messed it up, folks? We did, so why do we blame him? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
So we we got to be realistic. We got to be realistic with our kids. Now, let me just uh, let me one closing comment. I want you to understand something because we're done with chapter four. Chapter four basically is a vision of God on the throne. Let me ask you a question as we begin this prophetic session of talking about what is to come. Why? Why would God start off with the throne room? Okay, you hear what he said? Because he's in control. He wants us to understand. See, a lot of us, we want to hear, what's that toe on that thing over there? And what does that horn mean over here? And when is this going to happen? And when is that going to happen? The Bible doesn't start off just start off immediately telling you what all that stuff is. It starts off telling you a perspective. And the perspective we need to have is is that there is one who is on what? The throne. It's interesting, you know, I did this with you last week. When I went through, going through reading through the Psalms, as in Psalm 29, verse 10, says this. I, you know, I've read through the Psalms many times, but this time it really struck me. It was like, and God was on the throne during the flood. Wow. God's in control when the world's turning upside down. That's the perspective. Don't, you know what, can I be honest with you, why is that so important for us here? Because whenever we talk about prophecy, I can almost throw out another word that dominates people when we talk about prophecy. Fear. People are scared. What's going to happen? What's that going to mean to me? You know what? You're forgetting something. You're his child. And he's on the throne. And though they slay you, they can never take away what's yours. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's on the throne. Remember that. Okay? Let's let's close our time with prayer.